Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen Life is full of barbaric customs, such as listening to Mike and Mike go to the movies. I'm Mike Smith, and joining me, as always, is a man who can't see without his glasses. <laughs> Mike DiCuccio. How you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. I actually got glasses over in 2020, and it's scary, and I'm old now. So I, thanks I did, for bringing that up, Mike. I did not know that you had glasses, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's just for driving. Because, you know, with pandemic, I didn't go anywhere for like seven months, and sure. then I drove. And I couldn't read the street signs anymore. So I was like, this seems bad. <laughs> and now I have glasses to drive like an old man. That's rough. You, I mean, you, for most people, it's like a gradual thing of sightlessness, I guess. I guess, yeah. right? But for you, since you didn't drive, it's just like a sudden hit for you. That's, that's rough, man. I'm sorry about that. Thanks. But otherwise, uh, I'm good. How are you? I am good. I'm good. You didn't even realize that I was referencing uh, the first My Girl uh, when, I said that, uh, <laughs> when I said that sentence. There's uh, the first one? There is a first one, and we'll get into that in uh, just a few minutes. Uh, but before we do, uh, also joining us this week, uh, our technical social media advisor and also the co-host of No More Late Fees, uh, Danielle Clark. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. I got the reference, by the way, of the glasses. <laughs> I, I could see you getting very upset like, just on the Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little emotional. Yeah. So, uh, Danielle, what's been going on? This, the, this is your very first time in the podcast. So, welcome. Very excited to have you on here. Uh, you are the co-host of No More Late Fees. Tell the people what that show is. What, what is No More Late Fees? <laughs> Uh, well, after helping you guys as advisory for yes. a short minute there for your podcast, I said, you know what? I can do this. I can do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it was the pandemic. No. Everybody was starting podcasts. Right. So my best friend and I, Jackie, we started a podcast and it's called No More Late Fees based on our time working at Blockbuster in the late 90s and early 2000s. We pretty much just give our whole thought process on our favorite movies or not so favorite movies, actually just popular <laughs> movies from that time period. <laughs> and we have our own little rating scale and it mimics the rental situation. We have two day rental, mm. same day rental, five day rental. So we have a whole rating scale and we do the ratings versus our Y2K version, like how we thought about it when we first saw the movie. And then we give our rating how we feel now. And let me tell you, not a lot of things hold up. Not <laughs> a lot of things hold up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you, well, you guys have covered so many movies uh, in a pretty short amount of time. There are some good movies in there. I mean, yeah, you still got The Mummy, which uh, is uh, a Mike DeCree show favorite. That's uh, <laughs> it's a classic. Yeah. Uh, you cover the original Scream on the podcast. You got Lilo and Stitch, which uh, I fucking love that movie. Uh, Independence Day with our boy Jeff Goldblum, of course, of the uh, Goldblum podcast. Yes. Famously. Uh, <laughs> which I had a lot of takes, um, especially of how hot I think Goldblum is. I, I love him. And um, we talk about that in the podcast also. <laughs> <laughs> and I just pretty much we, we tore that movie apart. If you love that movie, you might not. You might not want to listen to that episode. Jackie almost like lost her entire in-laws from that. They were very upset with her. Really? That she did not rate that movie high. Yeah. 
That is wild. If you well, you are, <laughs> what you should do then is listen to the No More Late Fees of Independence Day, uh, where they tear it apart, and then listen to our episode on the Goldblum podcast, which is like two and a half hours of us heaping effusive praise <laughs> <laughs> on the genius that is Independence Day. Uh, Correct. For they, us, Independence Day was plot mean meat whole. There was a lot of plot holes for us. Things that oh, just yeah. didn't make any yeah. sense. We uh, we cannot dispute that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That is 100% correct, uh, but there are many, many other qualities to Independence Day that make it uh, just what it is. It's such an artifact of the 90s, uh, which is yeah. one of the fun things about No More Late Fees. A lot of these movies are just things that like, man, this it just takes you back to a very specific time in the late 90s, early 2000s. How, how long did you guys work at Blockbuster for? Jackie, a lot longer than I did. Okay. <laughs> and one of the run- <laughs> running jokes on our show is my memory is awful. So I don't even, I can't even tell you when I started working there. I can't even tell you when I stopped. I just know I worked there a few summers Mm -hmm. um, in between college. So I can't say I worked like a full year altogether. Right. But yeah. Jackie, I think she worked there at least four or five years. Okay, wow. For that's, sure. That's a, yeah. And that's a lot of uh, movies getting passed back and forth. You're watching yeah. movies on the TV in Blockbuster while you're working <laughs> and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just like a whole culture, like a whole video store culture that isn't really as prevalent uh, today at all because, you know, Netflix pretty much killed all that. And now Netflix is making documentaries about how they killed Blockbuster. Okay, so <laughs> I do want to clarify because everyone keeps saying this, that Netflix killed Blockbuster. And I don't want to discredit that Netflix was amazing, but we have to give credit to the fact that Blockbuster killed Blockbuster. Oh, sure. <laughs> it True. literally killed itself with really stupid ass decisions. <laughs> and if you watch the last Blockbuster um, documentary, it will be very clear to you all the stupid mistakes. And it wasn't just one. It was plentiful. They made a yep. lot of mistakes. You yeah. gotta love a good corporate destroys itself. Certainly. Yeah, it it was. Oof. Talk about eat the rich. They ate themselves. Good and plenty. Yeah, yeah. they they were really like the movie pass of their day. Uh, that was, <laughs> I I remember when movie pass was like imploding upon itself, and I was like, this sounds this seems familiar, and it was because uh-huh. of the blockbuster stuff. It was like, oh, it's it's the same thing. <laughs> it's happening yeah. all over again. But yeah, so you cover a lot of movies in the '90s through 2000s on the podcast. Uh, but like you said, you have kind of a, a hard cut date, which is 95 through 2005. Uh, right. So when we asked you to be on this podcast, I was thinking like, <laughs> I, I was curious what movie you were going to choose. And, you, you know, we're going to do a guest makes Mike watch here where you're going to just, you, you chose a movie and we were forced to watch that movie and we're going to talk yeah. about it. Uh, but the movie you selected was from 94, which is just outside of your range. So it yeah. would be ineligible for no more late fees. Yes, uh, unless I picked it as a birthday movie, but yeah, Okay, no. there you go. Um, <laughs> it's ineligible for the podcast. So, But it also, when I was watching, I was like, this feels like something they would just cover on the podcast. I'm curious why she chose this one, but now <laughs> I realize it's because legally you couldn't. Uh, <laughs> there's an ironclad contract which forces you to not <laughs> <laughs> and I promise. So when I picked this movie, it was not to make you guys suffer. It may have made you suffer, but it was <laughs> the intention was not to make you suffer. Um, this movie very much holds a dear spot in my heart. That doesn't mean you can't rain on it. It's fine. But okay. yeah, I it was the first movie that came to my mind. So I was just like, I'm just going to go with my gut. I did send you some other ones afterwards because I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, well, you're going to hate was, me for me. No, you were so confident on the first one. I, 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 I texted you and you didn't have any kind of preamble to what you were choosing or anything. You just sent you just sent me three words, which were my girl, too. <laughs> 
And then, and then I was like, okay, great. Yeah, that sounds good. That's a movie that uh, neither Mike or I have seen, which is the, the kind of the perfect thing for a guest makes Mike watch. We like it to be movies that are completely fresh to us uh, and stuff that maybe we should have seen. And My Girl 2, I had not seen. We had also not seen My Girl 1. And so- I forget that you guys are a tad bit younger than I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what Mike is talking about. He's old. He wears glasses. I just want to slap him across the screen because <laughs> I am your elder and this is disrespectful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my, my, my Girl 2 came out when I was uh, one year old, actually. Don't uh, say it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus uh, my, Christ. My Girl 1 was before I was born. But but they also seemed like movies that like they they were probably still in the rotation on cable and stuff. Like I probably like theoretically should have seen this, maybe even wandering through a blockbuster one day. And, but yeah, for whatever reason, never got around to seeing My Girl or My Girl 2. So to prep for this podcast, I watched the original My Girl first. Mm-hmm. I watched them both. I did the original and then I watched My Girl 2. Mike D skipped the original. He just watched My Girl too, uh, And also, I'm really upset that I told him about this, but he didn't even know that Macaulay Culkin in the original one dies. He had no idea that the character dies, which spoilers for My Girl, I guess, but that's also like the one thing I knew about My Girl. Right. You've never seen the memes where it's like make an entire generation crumble or cry and they show a picture of my, um, Thomas J, a.k.a. Macaulay Culkin. Never. Oh. You've no. never seen the scene where Veda's <laughs> like, his glasses, he can't see without his glasses. Yeah. No, not at all. I don't remember. Jesus. I don't think so. See, oh, that, that was a line that uh, you know, there was one time like I dropped my glasses or whatever. And uh, my gr- <laughs> and my girlfriend like said that, like, oh, he can't see without his glasses. And uh, I knew that Macaulay Culkin died of my girl, but I did not know about that line. And I thought she was making a Scooby-Doo reference. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, it's Velma, can't see without her glasses. It's like, no, it's from the movie My Girl. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and now, like a year and a half later, we're watching My Girl 2 for this podcast. <laughs> it all came full circle. Uh, so before we really get into the movie, I'm going to say that all the theme songs you're going to hear this episode uh, were created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own theme songs at Kyle's Podcast Themes at gmail.com. Our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. And if you ever want to contact us, respond to something we did in the show, you can tweet at us over at Mike and Mike Pod. And now, Let's get into My Girl 2. My Girl, America's Sweetheart is back. Dad, when a boy likes you, does he pretend that he doesn't like you? And she's at that age. Uh Uh-oh, here comes puberty. When friends start acting funny. Act natural. Totally natural. And life starts getting interesting. My Girl 2. I'm 13. Maybe it's about time I got my own apartment. Rated PG. All right, that was from the trailer for My Girl 2, uh, a movie directed by Howard Z, written by Janet Kowalsik, and starring Anna Klumski, Austin O'Brien, Dan Aykroyd, and Jamie Lee Curtis, among others. So, Danielle, why was it My Girl 2 that you wanted to make us watch? And why not the first one? Why was My Girl 2 the selection right there? Okay, so <laughs> My Girl 1 is traumatizing. And I know, <laughs> like, it, I think as a child, it was very traumatizing because like my age group grew up with Macaulay Culkin. We were about the same age. Sure. And so we went from home alone to bitch dying from these things. Like I wasn't ready for that, <laughs> you know? So I was just like, no, but then my girl two came out and really didn't know where they were going to take the movie. And I think this is one of those coming of age movies that came around this time that were just very pivotal for me growing up and like my love for movies. So it's just one of those ones that I watched a ton. 
Like okay. I watched this over and over and over again. I probably know all the lines. It's kind of sad. Okay, nice. And did you rewatch it before you uh, jumped on this episode? Hell yeah, I did. My mom came over and we watched oh it. My God. She's, <laughs> you know what she said? She's like, we still watching this? <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, I thought we outgrew this. And then, yeah. Yeah, no. So how did it hold up for you watching it again, uh, you know, this, this many years later and having seen it so many times? I, I think the Academy Awards need to run Anna her damn Oscar for this movie. <laughs> what, 25, 30 years later? Just be like, yes. oh, retro- retroactively, we want to reward Hell Anna Pumsky yes. for My Girl 2. Mm-hmm. The list is um, Denzel Washington for Malcolm X, uh, Angela Bassett for What's Love Got to Do With It, and Anna for My Girl 2. That's yeah. it. That's her. Yeah. Those are the only three mistakes the Oscars have ever made. You're right. 100%. <laughs> it's, been, it's been nothing but uh, smooth sailing for them for the entirety of their history. Yeah, so My Girl 2, you say you, you enjoyed it. You enjoyed it watching it again. You loved it back when you were a kid. Mike D, you had never seen the original My Girl. You had never seen My Girl 2. And you only watched My Girl 2. You did not watch the original going into this. What did you think of My Girl 2? Um, you know, My Girl 2 is actually like... It's a pretty sweet little movie, you know? I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, it was kind of like, this is has the potential to just sort of be nothing, just from like, oh, it's a little, like, sort of a kid's movie from the early 90s. I didn't know what it was about or anything. But it's it's still, it's got, like, it's got its heart, and and it's, it's like, pretty fun, and I didn't... I'm not Mike Smith, notorious child hater. Who, <laughs> <so> <laughs> I was kind of a little worried at first, where I was like, okay, it's like a precocious kid, that's fun. And then there's two now, like 20 minutes <laughs> into the movie. And I was like, oh no. But then they kind of, they have like a fun, a fun, like, you know, uh, chemistry together, a fun little relationship. And I was like, all right, you know what? I can kind of get on board with this. There's a little bit of a mystery about like uh, uncovering, uh, you know, Veda's mom's history and everything that I was like, you know what? I'm in. I'm in on My Girl 2. All right. Nice. So Mike D enjoyed My Girl 2, despite not having seen My Girl 1. Uh, he did have a little bit of context because he found out Macaulay Culkin's character died uh, I in wouldn't- the movie. I wouldn't have known Macaulay Culkin was in the first one or that he died until <laughs> if you hadn't told me. So, well, that's, that's, I think, what's fascinating about this movie with My Girl 2, because the original My Girl was released at like peak Culkin. That was 1991. It was the year after Home Alone. And Home Alone was like one of the biggest box office successes in history. It was, I think, the literally highest grossing movie of 1990. It was, I think, the highest grossing comedy ever until The Hangover Part 2 came out. Um, right, so, like, it was like 20 years it held that record or something and yeah it was like that just that peak Culkin time where it was Home Alone I think he was in Uncle Buck the year before Home Alone Mm -hmm. Uh, I was like Uncle Buck Home Alone My Girl Home Alone 2 and then he has a few flops in there I think he has The Good Son in like The Good Son the good that's son. a classic. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> I definitely saw The Good Son at some point. That's why I know I saw it. I don't really remember all that much about it. I know he's, I, I, I remember that's the one where Macaulay Culkin says, don't fuck with me. And it's like, oh man, he is he's a, a child. He's a bad seed in that movie. It's him and Elijah Wood. It's, right. Oh my God. They play cousins. Right. It's a yeah. lot. The title's ironic because he's not a good son. No. Oh, I see. He is not. <laughs> um, and he was also in the, and this probably falls in the flop category, but he was in the movie. Be Page Master, which oh, yeah. was 
Yeah, that's like, uh, that's like towards the. It's like the Page Master and Richie Rich, like his two kind of big yeah. flops uh, in like '94, yeah. and then he disappears. He's like not in movies for like nine years after that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and you know, there's all the personal stuff with Macaulay Culkin, and you know, it's one of those weird things where it's like this kid was like way too in the spotlight and being a child. Like it's one of those things that's like just yeah. like going to impact you. And he some divorces kind of his way. parents. He's right. got money struggles. The Michael Jackson drama. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole a lot, lot of stuff. Lot. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that happens there in a very short amount of time. Uh, And so he kind of disappears from the public limelight for a long time. And now he's kind of like, you know, he's not doing a lot of stuff now, but he kind of like is playing upon his image as like former child star Macaulay Culkin. He's apparently on the new uh, season of American Horror Story. Um, Mm, That's a good fit. Yeah, I see that, that for him. That's totally, he seems like the kind of guy who would just be in like the Ryan Murphy staple of actors at this yeah. point. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, like a lot, a lot of the more attention is going towards Kieran Culkin, his brother, who is on succession now. Yeah. And so, you know, he, and he just got to host SNL and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, the Culkins are kind of like back in the public consciousness, <laughs> but just not in the way where it was like, you know, he was the child star for like yeah. the first half of the 90s, you know? And then My Girl 2 comes out, 94, right on the heels of like those two Macaulay Culkin flops. This does not have Macaulay Culkin in it. This movie completely bombs the box office. Uh, yeah. just, but My Girl 1 is a huge hit, like huge smash success because Culkin was in it. You know, that movie had like a budget of 17 million and made like 120 or something. It was it was wow. a pretty major hit. Uh, this one, I think, also had a budget of like, it had, or I don't even know what the budget is. It doesn't even say that on Wikipedia. But uh, this the box office drop was steep. Uh, it, dropped, <laughs> it dropped, like the original made like 120 and this one made like 30. You know, it was like a pretty steep drop from My Girl to My Girl 2. And I think the lack of Culkin is probably a pretty major factor in there well also it's like where do you go from there right so i think you have to try to figure out what exactly was the magic in the first movie i don't know if it necessarily was the fact that it was just macaulay culkin i think that was a factor but i think it just was such a interesting story to tell about it's a coming of age story for this little girl yeah and this version it's it's coming to age but it's not the same. It, it it feels like it could have been its its very own movie. Like mm-hmm. the only connection to the original is the fact that it's the same characters and actors playing it. That is it. Right. Yeah. There's the one scene where they reference Thomas J. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they reference the fact that he died and she gets very emotional about the fact that she's losing her ring, uh, which is what he went to go. Like when, so Mike, for context, when Macaulay Culkin's characters dies, what happens is that he, you know, and, uh, you know, Anna Klumski, they're, they're like friends with like maybe a potential romance, like kind of going there. They have like their first kiss together and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he drops her off back at her house. And uh, I think she had lost her mood ring. And so she goes back to where the mood ring is. He goes back to where the mood ring is, uh, happens to be near an active beehive, which they had smashed down earlier. And the bees attack Macaulay Culkin and he dies from uh, a bee allergy. He's like allergic to bee stings and he dies. That's fucking gnarly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, wow. it's pretty intense. And it also kind of comes out of nowhere when you're <laughs> yeah, uh, which is very weird. But uh, so he went there for the mood ring, and like when they when they find him, like he has the mood ring in his pocket, and so they give the mood ring back to uh, Anna Klumski Vada, and uh, then so she's so when she's wearing the mood ring in this movie, I was like, okay, that's like the only real acknowledgement we're gonna get about uh, right. Thomas J and that kind of thing. It's just like a subtle like you know callback to the first movie, and it's like a little bit of a character thing, but it's not really gonna do all that much with it. And then they do have that one scene where they do reference Thomas J, and then outside yeah. of that, you can pretty much watch this as its own like standalone movie a hundred percent i just think about this girl and she's just had so much death in her life it's a lot 
Oh, she lives in a a mortuary. She she lives in a mortuary. I mean, on top of that, you know, her, she's never met her mom. Her best friend dies getting a ring, bee stings. Her grandma dies. I mean, in between movies. Yeah. Can the girl get a break? Can the girl get a break? Please. what is the plot of the first one? So the the first one is uh, I mean I just watched it and basically it's this girl who <laughs> I'm saying I just watched it as I try to like piece the put the pieces <laughs> together in my mind. First one it's like the early 70s 1972 and Vada is this girl who lives with her dad Dan Aykroyd mm-hmm. and Jamie Lee Curtis starts working for them as like makeup for the corpses right, right? and so. They start to develop, develop kind of a romance, her and Dan Aykroyd, and Anna Klumski is like kind of, you know, not feeling that. Like, you know, it's just a weird thing. Like she, her, her dad hasn't been with anybody since her mom, and she's like having a hard time accepting Jamie Lee Curtis as like a new mother figure in her life. And so she's pushing back against that. Meanwhile, she's also just kind of growing up in Pennsylvania in the summer of 1972. She's like taking a writing course and like trying to be a writer and all that kind of stuff. She has a crush on a teacher played by Griffin Dunn. Who I is, mean, who doesn't? Done. <laughs> Fair enough. She saw an American Merle from London and she was like, this is it. This is, this is that. <laughs> but yeah, so she has like this crush on a teacher and Macaulay Culkin's like her best friend. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really just like a coming of age story, like her growing up in the summertime. And the main plot of the movie is the fact that her dad is starting to date Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay. Yeah. And she's going through that typical girl, those changes that, that are happening, that you're starting to not yet, you're not still a little girl anymore. You're starting to get into the preteen years and trying to figure all that stuff out and her dad is very overprotective as well as mm-hmm. you see in this movie a little bit right um so he's just like acting like she's a tomboy forever you know and right. um not addressing some real issues that are happening so i think that the jamie lee curtis character is pivotal and kind of saying hey wake up your child's a little weird <laughs> <laughs> and she needs some more guidance so um, and you kind of see that continue. I think what made that movie work as well was the relationship between Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis. And we don't get them at all, really, in the movie. No, yeah. Well, the plot of this movie takes her away from them. Uh, yeah. And that's sort of the thing. So I think what's interesting about My Girl too, and I, know, I will say, I don't think I actually like said whether I liked it or not. I did. I thought it was pretty good. My, <laughs> both, both of them, I think, are pretty solid. Like, they're just fun, sweet little movies. That's, uh, you know, I think what's cool about this movie is that it kind of, like, builds out from My Girl 1 without having to, like, reach tread the same plot beats as the original. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, this one kind of takes uh, Anna Klumski on this self-discovery journey where she's going through Los Angeles. She leaves Pennsylvania, goes to Los Angeles for a week to be with her uncle and discover the truth about her mother as she's writing this paper. And I think that is just a, a nice, like, it's one of those things where, like, this could have just done the exact same thing as the first movie where it's like, okay, yeah. she's still, like, upset about Jamie Lee Curtis and being her new mom or something like that. Or she's having, yeah. or now, now that they're having a baby, she's, like, rejecting that idea or whatever. Like that could that could have been the plot. And instead, it kind of takes a different turn, like goes deeper into some of this character's insecurities, which I found uh, kind of interesting. I think I have a new appreciation of the movie. So I when I saw this movie, both my parents were, you know, fortunately still alive. But my dad passed away in 2019. So watching this movie is a little different for me now. Yeah. Um, to to see her kind of explore trying to understand who her mother was as a person besides like all the stories she's ever heard about her mom is her mom being a mom, right. From her dad. She doesn't know anybody from her life previously. She doesn't have any pictures. So she's just trying to kind of piece all of those things together. And I think anybody who's lost anyone, but especially a parent 
could very much commiserate with what that feels like. You know, obviously I know a lot of people in my dad's life. I know a lot about his life, but there's still like pieces that you, you end up kind of searching for. You search for more pictures. You search for any yeah. nugget you could possibly squeeze out to feel that connection to them. So I very much was able to latch onto that in a different way this time around that I didn't when I, you know, saw it a million times when I was little. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, I have a similar, you know, my dad passed away uh, back in 2016 and uh, it is one of those things where it's like, I think, I think this happens with everybody who loses a parent or losing some, you know, somebody close to them, but like you just find out stories about them that are completely unrelated to their relationship to you. And that's a fascinating thing. And like, just one of those things where like years later, I found out that my dad like owned a bar for a while, like, you know, and I didn't know that, (laughs) Like (laughs) you know, Uh, just one of those things where it's like, I feel like this should have come up at some point, but it never did. This is (laughs) very strange, you know? So uh, I like that aspect of my girl too, where it is just like her trying to learn about her mom and, you know, kind of going through the people of her mom's life, which uh, all the people here are like just peak nineties people, I guess is a, you know you've got uh garrett graham who is uh the cardiologist cardiologist who visits the auto shop and he's the the guy from uh phantom of the paradise mike oh my yeah, like god the glam, the glam rocker from that movie <laughs> yeah he is <laughs> which is pretty wild but also uh richard bamer from twin peaks uh yep. is in this he's uh, the film director who knew uh their mom he plays ben horn in that show ben stein is in this movie as like a photographer who knew her in high school and uh, a few other a few other people i think uh, the guy who plays Wu on deadwood is uh, is the cop who helps them all that kind of stuff just like a, it's a lot of like fun like character actors just kind of popping up in those roles as she's going through one by one yeah i loved i loved that whole like aspect of it the kind of the like a little bit of a mystery and and like how much that means to to veda and and all the like just like wacky stuff that she finds out or like or like goes through on the journey like the whole cop thing was hilarious and the way the the kid i can't remember his name nick hank is like nick 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 oh nick <laughs> is like um oh what is he what does he what does he call him like a a, a uh, a freakoid, freakzoid geek or something like that because he ratted <laughs> yeah. out the mom and he's like, it was me. Um, it's just like mm, perfect, like uh, president of the Young Republicans. That like, oh my god, <laughs> the author um, of all your pain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was so good and just yeah, all those all those characters and like the person that runs like the fashion boutique slash fortune teller shop thing. Yeah, that woman. It's all it's all fun, fun little goofy stuff, you know. I also Absolutely. like that she goes through this thing that I think every kid goes through at some point as they're growing up, where your parents are no longer on a pedestal. I mean, for everybody, it's at a different point in time in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you've had a decent childhood, it probably happens a little bit later when you realize that your parents aren't these just like superhero beings that only live to be your parents, but right. have their own lives Mm -hmm. and when you kind of figure that out or realize that you kind of get a little shook (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know so um i think that that part was kind of cool too yeah when you're able to connect with your parents just uh, as people like as adults it's, it's a really like it is just one of those like weird like relationship changes that happens with everybody, I guess. But it's just like something that like it's tough to capture, I think, on film. I think Girls actually like the TV show Girls had a really good arc where that you see, kind of see that happening throughout the course of the series with uh, Lena Dunham and her mom. But uh, yeah, th- that My Girl too also I think kind of handles that pretty well, where you kind of see her 
kind of understanding her mom, but also understanding her dad a little bit more uh, yeah. too, with uh, with Dan Aykroyd, who, again, they don't really get a ton of screen time, Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis, who apparently they weren't even going to be coming back for this one. Um, they like, because because those roles were so reduced in this movie, they were like, eh, I don't know if we want to do this again. Yeah. And, and then they, uh, they were like convinced to come back because it was like, you know, important to the journey that uh, this character goes to, that you see her in Pennsylvania and all that kind of stuff. But at, at some point they were going to just have her start in LA. Like the movie was going to start in Los Angeles and she's just already on her vacation and she's hanging out with her uncle and that would have yeah. been the movie <laughs> um hmm. so I'm, I'm glad it kind of gave, gave you a little bit more context with dan acker and jimmy lee curtis and you kind of see how their relationship has progressed since the first movie and she's pregnant now she's having a new baby and if you've seen the first movie that does raise concerns because you know that her mom died in childbirth and so that's got to be like on the back of her mind the back of dan Aykroyd's mind as right. jimmy lee curtis is uh you know kind of get progressing more and more into her pregnancy and then i think towards the end she like goes into labor early and it's like everybody's like a little I bit concerned of- about it right I kind of feel like now that I look back at it, that them sending her might, they might have known that she was going like having some issues with the pregnancy hmm. and that like sending her would have been a really good thing to ease the tension of everything hmm. because it just, the timing was just weird that all of a sudden now she's, sick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you right. know, um, she's, and she, they said that she was like, six weeks, seven weeks before she would have the baby. So that that's a preemie right there. That yeah. baby was looking healthy at the end. So right. <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's only, you know, cause it's only five days. She was in California. So right. This baby's I don't understand like, this movie's sense of time. <laughs> she covers a lot of ground in that five days. <laughs> she does. She does. In Los Angeles, which is a notoriously difficult city to get around. In, actually. <laughs> yeah. Especially around that time. And you're not driving. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, also I do, I do want to talk about Anna Klumski a little bit who, uh, like you said, you know, justice for Anna Klumski should have won an Oscar for my girl too. Uh, <laughs> I think she's, she's really good in this movie and in the first one. And, yeah. you know, before watching these, like I knew she was in the, my girls, I knew she was, I, I guess I didn't really, I, I assumed that Macaulay Culkin was the star of my girl. Uh, even though it's called My Girl and it's like typical, and you would think it's about a girl. <laughs> wow, uh, <laughs> that's real feminist yeah. of you. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he's he was Macaulay Culkin. He's this, like, he's, it, may, it would make sense that, he like, they're building a, the movie a lesser him. role. He yes. was mm-hmm. the side character. Yes, he was that the movie side was character. all about her. Yes, it 100% is about her. Uh, and so, and then this movie is even more so. Like, just, like it's really about her journey. Both these movies are about Vada's journey. And Anna Klumski is very much the star of these movies. But I had no idea that she was, like, as big of a role in the first one as she was. I thought, like, she kind of transitioned into the starring role in My Girl 2 because Macaulay Culkin died. That was, like, what I thought the, pr- the process was. But really, before this, all I knew her for was Veep, um, which she's incredible on in Veep. Uh, yeah. She's so good on that show. But that's a very different thing than what these My Girl movies are. (laughs) Because Veep is, you know, a show that revels in seeing how many characters can string together as many different combinations of curse words as possible. And uh, my girl is like, this is like sweet coming of age story. And it's like just very different vibes uh, between the two things. She's been in other things here and there, but like, it's like this and Veep are like the two kind of biggest things she's She disappeared for. too, like Macaulay. And, and I appreciate yeah. that. Like I always like the child stars and I kind of feel like this tells you who their parents are. Mm-hmm. Macaulay had to just like dip to off for a little out. bit because yeah. things were just too much. But for her, I feel like, her parents probably said, you know, bring your ass back to school. Let's ground you, you know, California, a little <laughs> crazy when you're older, something like that. Kind of like Natalie Portman, you know, Natalie right. Portman was in movies for quite a bit, but she took time off, went to school, you know, 
wasn't in the scene. Yeah. Went to Harvard um, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, that, that is the key thing I think with child stars. I mean, I feel like they should all get like, if they're going to have like a big hit movie, you get the one big hit, maybe you do the sequel and then it's like, all right, you're done. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to come back to acting in 10 years, you can do that. But like, you're, you're done. Like, otherwise, like, it's just one of those things that like, it can warp, like fame can warp anybody yeah. like so easily. I think like any, like, you know, like mega stardom can warp somebody into something that like maybe they weren't before. And I think that's especially true for kids, which is just going to be like, you know, like yeah. it, it's the only life you've ever known kind of thing. And I also think what ends up happening is when you're a child star there, the roles are coming in to, to about like when you start getting to the teen years, your career is kind of over because then you start, you know, they start getting 20 year olds to be able to play the teen roles right. because now you're in that territory of child labor laws and yeah. they're like, we don't want to deal with this. So we're going to get a 20 year old to play this role and you can go, you can go back home. You're, <laughs> yeah. We're good. Yeah. You know? fair enough. Yeah. Somebody, somebody who's kind of avoided that in recent years, I think is Jacob Tremblay who has, I mean, yeah. he's still, I guess a child star, but you know, he's kind of grown into like preteen kind of roles now. And he was in Dr. Sleep and uh, he was in good boys. Like he's still, he's, still has like you know starring roles kind of made for him and even good boys is a weird one because that's like you know a comedy movie and they don't make comedy movies anymore (laughs) so he's like they got they made a comedy movie with child actors and like jacob tremblay was at the center of it um yeah but he's some somebody who i think has kind of like avoided that for the most part we'll see what happens give give him a few years he's uh, he's not there yet he's still like he still looks little let's wait until he gets into like actual teen roles yeah, Jake Jay- is 15 bye. years old. I'm looking it up right now. He's 15, what? which is weird. <laughs> he looks really young. Yeah, I mean, Room was only six years ago. So I guess oh. he would have been like nine when that came out. But he, he looks it like looks he's like, like four. six. Yeah. yeah, he's supposed to be like a very small child in that movie, I think. Hmm. So that's weird. But uh, maybe him looking young is working for him. I yeah, I, I guess so. I'm not, not really sure. And we'll see what happens there. But yeah, Anna Klumsky, I think, is great in this movie. And also, uh, Austin O'Brien is uh, kind of the new male lead of this. <laughs> <laughs> was Austin O'Brien a big deal for you as a child, let uh, Danielle? Me, <laughs> let me tell you, it was the start of some tingling, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I very much had a huge crush on this little boy. Okay. I was little, so it was okay. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was 100% obsessed. Obsessed. I I was first in, I think, I'm not sure if this movie or The Last Action Hero, one of those. Right. Was so like that, that's the, kind of his other big claim to fame is he's the star of Last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. yeah. It's either, it's that one. Oh, there's another one. I think it's prehistoric or something where he has his little diners. Yes. Prehistoric. Yeah. Obsessed. And so we interviewed um, Natanya Ross on our podcast and she was in the Babysitter's Club and he was in it as well. And she told me... Well, she told us that she dated him and I damn near fell out of my chair. <laughs> wow. I was like, what does it feel like to touch heaven? <laughs> Tell me, please. Incredible. She said, she said he was super nice and he's like an artist now, you know, oh, yeah. nice. I'm, I'm not attracted to him anymore. But back in the day, <laughs> young Danielle yeah. was definitely taking him to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It looks like he was also in the Lawnmower Man. So also like one of the other big things he was in. And the Lawnmower Man too, beyond cyberspace. He was he's not himself. against he's not against a sequel. Yeah, there you go. He popped up and then yeah, also kind of in the same trajectory. He was in a few things and then kind of just peered out for, yeah. uh, for a little bit. He's he looks like he pops up in like a few things here and there, but like if you look at his Wikipedia page, I think the last like major thing he was in was an episode of Bones in 2008 and then it's like a bunch of things that don't actually have articles. It's just like <laughs> it yep. has like the uh, you know, there's just just the text that I can't click on. So uh, stuff is no, nothing major since since Bones basically. Um, he was on he was on a TV show that I think it was like on a ranch or something. And I even tried watching that to support him, but it was just too white for me. So I had to <laughs> let fair. it go. <laughs> Reasonable. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I think they're really great together in this movie too. And, uh, you know, it is, uh, he's basically like playing like not her cousin, but like almost her cousin. But like um, definitely her cousin by the end of the movie. Her they, cousin yeah. by the end of the movie, but it's like a step cousin. It's, uh, a, yeah. you know, it's been so. a week, y'all. It's been a week. <laughs> been been it's not like she's been going there every summer. And then all of a sudden one summer they're like, oh, right. you know, yes. they've known each other for a week. And to their defense, they were liking each other and her her uncle didn't seem like he was making any kind of real commitment. So <laughs> like, you know, that's true. That really threw them off at the end. I think. Yeah. I felt yeah. like they were more committed than the parents were. True. <laughs> You're probably it was right. Just very, very funny and weird when they had to have a whole scene to establish, look, we're not related. So that later <laughs> when they smoosh in the airport, it's like, Oh, okay. They're not related. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> they uh, were so open with that too. Like the parents were yeah. full on watching them make out. Yeah. yeah, this is the origin of Arrested Development, actually. This is where it all started. <laughs> <laughs> Kissing Cousins. There it is. Le, cu- there it le is. Cousins Dangereux. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I, I think they are great together, though. They're a, they're a lot of fun together. And I, I do like the way the movie kind of sets up their relationship at the beginning, where there's, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis kind of talking to Anna Klemsky about boys and, you know, how it's like, oh, when a boy is mean to you, it means he actually likes you or whatever, you know, which is one of those like cliche things you hear in all 90s movies. Yeah. But it is like one of those things where like she says that. And then when you're introduced to uh, Nick, to Austin O'Brien, like they're, he's kind of like a little bit of a dick to her at the airport, right? And she, mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I'm picking you up. What do you want? I'm, I'm getting five bucks for it whatever and then he <laughs> then he leaves and then like you know the entire like first half of their trip he's he's kind of like antagonistic towards her it's like oh i gotta right. spend my spring break hanging out with you or my summer break or whatever and it's and by the end you know they kind of form a genuine connection but i like the way the movie kind of sets that seed where it's like oh he's being mean to her means he actually likes her. En- enemies to lovers trope but 100%. like growing up this tells you why so many of us women today are are messed up because we learned at an yep. early age that from movies like My Girl Two, from My Girl Two, that we should accept toxic shit from men, and mm-hmm. and so we're like, no, 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 he loves me because he treats me like shit. Hello, I, I can fix him. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so now we're all messed up. And and as soon as a nice guy comes along, I don't want you. You don't want me. <laughs> I want that guy who's gonna like treat me like shit. <laughs> but yeah, so she's spending uh, basically spending the week hanging out with Nick and his family. Uh, the uncle from the first movie, Phil, uh, is played by Richard Mazur and his new girlfriend, uh, who's running the auto shop that he works at, uh, played by Christine Ebersol. Uh, Love her, Rose. Yeah, what what else is she in? Uh, that's one of those Everything names. Everything like, and nothing. I can't remember off the top of my <laughs> yeah. head. But she's, she's, one she's of those also characters. somebody who's been in a bunch of stuff, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I yeah. love her character in this movie. Yes. Looks like she was in Tootsie. Uh, she was in Tootsie. Uh-huh. Amadeus, Mac and Me, 
the uh, McDonald's movie. Classic. Uh, yeah, My Girl 2. <laughs> She's also in Richie Rich. She plays uh, Macaulay Culkin's mom in Richie Rich. Right. That's so right. there you go. Black Sheep with Chris Farley, David Spade. My favorite Martian, Confessions of a Shopaholic. Ooh, love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, she's in the Wolf of Wall Street. She plays Leonardo DiCaprio's mom. And hey, she's in, she's, she's in Licorice Pizza, which is coming out uh, like next week, the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. But My Girl 2. Let's get back, let's get back to that. You know, one of my favorite little details about the, uh, with the aunt or the uncle and like the girlfriend or whatever, and the guy that with the Jaguar, I loved how the uncle kept being like, if he was a gentleman, he would have a green car with a tan interior, but he's got a red car with a black interior. So, you know, he's like a playboy guy. And I don't, I just, the, the like, the like, so, the, the uncle is like so good at his car job that he can like analyze, psychoanalyze that guy based purely on his car. Cause that, the uncle in a, like, I don't know, another movie would just be like the wacky, klutz, goofy kind of character, but he yeah. like, is actually like competent and passionate and loves that woman, even though he's afraid of commitment. It's very, it's good, it's good stuff. Yeah. And I think that does build out of his character from the first movie which again Mike you have not seen um, maybe he's he, the wacky goofy klutz guy in that movie I don't know yeah I mean he's <laughs> I, I wouldn't call him that I mean he's like the, kind of the support for Dan Aykroyd so he's he's yeah. much more of a supporting character in that movie than he is in this one mm. um, and in that movie he's kind of like you know Dan Aykroyd has been basically in a funk ever since his wife died 11 years ago and you know he's talking there's like this one scene where he's talking to uh, Vada about you know her dad and how like oh man after you know he's just he's he's been so different ever since his his wife died and or your mom died and like all this stuff like you know he's he used to be funny he used to like you know enjoy himself and like Jamie Lee Curtis is really good for him for that reason uh, and that yeah. kind of thing so she he kind of like provides like sage wisdom for Vada uh, along her coming of age okay. journey and then in this one he kind of gets more of the spotlight as Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis take a step back which I think is interesting yeah I wonder how much they got paid for this movie <laughs> an interesting thing is that Brian Grazer is the producer on this movie and right. I love his work yeah, I do Brian, Brian Grazer who uh, works with Ron Howard a lot and uh, they yeah. kind of mm-hmm work on a Imagine Entertainment and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's produced a ton of movies. I don't have his, uh, his IMDb in front of me right now or anything, but he's he's, he's done a lot of stuff. Basically, basically yeah. produced all of Ron Howard's movies. Yeah, and, and um, they also produced the the show Felicity that used to be on WB. I love ah, that show. There it is. Um, Jackie and I actually met him <clears throat> in person. We stumbled onto the set of The Inside Man, which he was producing as well. Inside Man, Uh, like the Spike Lee movie? Yep. Okay, wow. With Jodie Foster and Denzel Washington. Yeah, I wasn't... So, according to Jackie, I wasn't paying attention to Jodie Foster. (laughs) Like, Jodie Foster was behind me. I was playing with an umbrella. I don't know. But then I saw Brian Grazer, and I like knew who he was and Jackie's like how the hell do you know the <laughs> producer and you're not seeing Jodie Foster over here um but because yeah, he's got like, a very distinctive shock of hair uh, he so that, does. Might be, that might be what it is <laughs> and so like I just walked up to him and was like I love your work and he's probably like what the hell because like <laughs> he's a producer that doesn't happen you know but I did. I, I love his work. So nice. Yeah. And yeah, he produced both these movies. Uh, and yeah, My Girl 2. What a movie. It's it's pretty good. <laughs> what a picture. <laughs> what a picture. My Girl 2. Uh, we should talk about the kind of towards the end of the movie when uh, when Vada actually finally meets uh, the person that she thinks may be her father, Jeffrey, right? Is his name. And, you know, the entire journey has been leading to this point. And she's been learning a lot about her mother and like 
hasn't really been a fan of some of the stuff that she's been learning about her. She thinks that she she made what did like adult films, I think, or something like that. And like kind of went into like, just had a journey that like, wasn't what she was expecting going into this whole trip. And then she kind of meets this guy, Jeffrey, who it turns out was her first husband. She had no idea that she was married before, you know, she married her dad. Uh, And she thinks that like, you know, she may have like ran away from this guy when she became pregnant and he didn't want kids and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And he kind of puts those fears to rest for her and shows her like a bunch of videos of, you know, her mother, like when they were kind of together back in the day. Uh, and it's just really like affecting, you know, powerful moment. I think Anna Klinsky sells that really well too. Yeah. I love, I love like that. He shows the videos and stuff like that. And I question if they got married for real, because when he tells the wedding story, <laughs> yeah. he's just like, we were out in the snow. I, we wrote the date on a paper bag or whatever. So not really, I'm, you know, it was the 70s, 60s uh, timeframe. So, you mm, know, yeah. but it was a sweet moment and he was, you know, I liked the way that he interacted with her because it came from, I very much love this woman and I see this woman in this child. And I know that she was the product of everything that she wanted to have before she left this earth. So you could just tell that's how he was feeling looking at her. So that was nice. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of like, put her fears to rest too, that like, oh, her dad is actually her dad too. Like yeah. she, you know, that, that was a whole thing too, where she was like thinking like, oh, maybe I don't actually fit in with my family and stuff, which I think is, you know, something that a lot of people also go through, even if, you know, they don't have any yeah. of these kind of like questions about their parentage or anything, but just like, oh, you know, I, I feel like different and like isolated from the rest of my family growing up kind of thing. So I think to put that kind of in the spotlight here and uh, have her kind of working through that in some way, uh, I think really works. Yeah. I think because for her, she probably felt out more outside because she was so much more like her mother and her mother's presence is not there. And her dad didn't have enough information to say you are like very much like your mom because she did X, Y, and Z. So, yeah. And I also, did you notice this part where she was talking to her uncle and she asked if like she should tell her dad And they kind of were both agreeing that maybe they don't ever tell him. And the fact that she would be willing to do that is interesting. Like to her, no matter who this guy is behind this door, Mm -hmm. biologically or not, that is still her dad. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Dan Eckroy is the guy who raised her and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I liked that whole um, scene when he's showing her the the home movies and stuff. Um, I was like, man. My life is my heart thawing. Am I feeling something right Aww. now? Did my heart grow three sizes today? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, that smile song, man. Always yeah, made me cry. Sings, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, which that you know the mom sings in the video, and then uh, uh, Vada sings the same song to the newborn baby uh, at the end of the movie at the, as Jamie Curtis gave birth. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it all comes full circle once again. It's, <laughs> which it's also shout out to Dan Aykroyd's tuba. Let's, yeah, man. Let's put some respect on the tuba. <laughs> yes, he some does. Skills. He does play the tuba in the original as well. He uh, <laughs> that, that so carries over between movies <laughs> incredible but yeah but i do like the way this movie also kind of shows the passage of time between the original as well because this takes place two years later and you know so I, I like that you know thomas jay's death still with her you know she's wearing the ring and stuff but it's not overtly brought up all the time un- until the very like kind of midway point of the movie when they almost lose the mood ring but then also the uh the grandma who's in the first movie you know when you see her in the first movie she is kind of like dealing with dementia and is sort of like out of it and it's kind of just like catatonic for a lot of the movie and that's like just something that's 
kind of happening in the background of the film. And then in this movie, the grandma is not there. And she's, it's just kind of implied that she passed away in between movies. And apparently the actress who played her actually did pass away between movies. Oh, wow. uh, and that's, and they were considering recasting, but they were like, well, you know, we, we don't spend a lot of time in Pennsylvania anyway. We move, <laughs> we moved to Los Angeles pretty quickly. Uh, so if we just like kind of wrote that character out and like have it so that she passed away between movies, um, that's just something extra that uh, Vada has had to deal with uh, in the, in the past few years. And it makes sense. Cause that's a good catalyst for the brother to leave too, you know, Mm-hmm. The, his mom to passing away and right. his brother getting a wife and starting his own family. It's like, okay, it's time for me to go figure out my life. So yeah, exactly. This is like, you know, watching these, I was surprised at how kind of intricately put together they are and how um, sweetly sentimental they are, I guess is the, is the way to describe <laughs> it. You know, they, they, they're very much, you know, there, there are a lot of movies about whatever time period the filmmakers uh, grew up in, like, let's make a nostalgia piece about that time period. Right. Uh, and I think my girl and my girl to kind of fall into that category. These are movies that were made in the 90s that take place in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's the Wonder Years, right? But it's a movie version, yeah. essentially. Right. And I think this movie does a pretty good job of being that. I think there are a lot of examples of that which are kind of like empty and hollow and just feel like, you know, okay, great, you grew up in the 70s, whatever. But this feels like... <laughs> <laughs> but this feels like a pretty like authentic representation of what it was like kind of being an 11-year-old girl, 13-year-old girl, growing up in the 70s, kind of finding yourself in a small Pennsylvania town and then kind of finding yourself in a larger city like Los Angeles. I just think it's so interesting because I I guess every you get these these nostalgia kind of time periods that happen every 30, 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, So like in the 90s, a lot of our movies were very much nostalgia 60s and 70s. You said the Wonder Years we had um, now and then we had this movie. So like it's funny now (laughs) in the 2020s we're seeing the 90s kind of come back up and now yeah. people are having nostalgia for that. It's just very interesting looking back at like the selection of movies in that time period, how many of them tried to do these. It's like, why the hell are there so many? And I'm like, oh, it's making sad stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's all happening. If, you know? if, if My Girl was made today, uh, it would take place in... Uh, I think 2000. Like if I, if I went yeah. through like the actual, late 90s, 2000s, it takes place yeah. like past the year, the release date of the original My Girl. <laughs> yeah. Which is wild. But yeah, any other thoughts about uh, My Girl? I did want to just kind of quickly mention uh, director Howard Zeef, which is actually, My Girl 2 was actually his final movie. Um, oh, wow. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. He retired from directing after this. He was, uh, he had Parkinson's and just kind of was dealing with that. Um, he made an Oscar worthy movie. He was yeah. done. He went out on top. on top. He went out on top with my girl too, <laughs> but uh, he had Parkinson's lived for many years after this, but uh, he did uh, pass away in 2009. But uh, other than the, my girls, he was mostly known. He directed a uh, private Benjamin. Oh, Go- I with love Goldie that movie. Hawn. Yeah. Yeah. Goldie Hawn and the army. And that was kind of his other big one. And then a couple of other movies in the seventies and eighties, hearts of the West house calls, the main event, unfaithfully yours, the dream team. And then his last two movies, my girl and my girl too, which my girl was such a huge hit. They brought him back for the sequel. And then after that, he, kind of just, uh, you know, stepped away with his health problems and stuff and retired. But uh, yeah, I wanted to quickly mention uh, Howard Zeef as the director, because I think there is like a very tender touch that he brings uh, to this movie. And the screenplay, I think, also does a lot a lot of work to kind of make it feel, like I said, authentic uh, yeah. to the experience of this. It does feel like, I don't want to say it feels like a sequel because it doesn't, but it just feels like a bookend. It feel, They feel like they go together, but they could be separate as well, which yeah. I like. I mean, like Mike D, like he didn't watch the original, has never seen the original basically has no idea what happens in the original um but he was able to watch my girl too and kind of just understand it on its own terms yeah even even the scene when they talk about uh with the mood ring and like oh you know my best friend died 
or what, you know, and all that stuff, you get enough there to like, I didn't necessarily need to know about Macaulay Culkin being uh, <laughs> slaughtered on screen for children to watch everywhere um, <laughs> to like feel the, the emotional weight that that, that ring and that sentiment has for Vada. Like it all, it's all in my girl too, you know? Yeah. They, they should release the R rated cut of my girl where you actually get to see uh, the, the bees cut. attack the gore cut of <laughs> like candy man situation. Did exactly. Macaulay get like a, like a thousand dollars per bee you know, sting? You know, you know what? Yep. This was the year before Candyman. I mean, this could have been the precursor. This could have been like could the prequel. Could have been. <laughs> I can see story. it now. The writer was in his house high as hell watching <laughs> my girl yes. and said, I got it. I yeah. know what we're going to do. What if instead of Tony Todd, it was Macaulay Culkin as the Candyman? <laughs> <laughs> it was three Culkins in a trench coat. <laughs> Macaulay, Kieran, and Rory. It would be all, all three of them <laughs> in a trench coat. I'm not saying it should replace Candyman, but I think it's an interesting experiment to try. <laughs> I think we should try it today with all three Culkins in a trench coat and see what happens. See what happens. I see video on demand. Mm-hmm, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yeah, any other thoughts about uh, My Girl 2 before we start wrapping this up, guys? Danielle, you want to, I mean, this is your time to just throw out <laughs> any, any thoughts about My Girl 2 that you want to get out there. I love this movie. It is sentimental, obviously, but I, I think it's a quality movie. I think it get slept on I, th- I think a lot of people haven't seen it probably think it's cheesy but i think it's i don't think it's cheesy i i think it's good i think it's a quality movie yeah but, i think i know. think we're both with you i think we both th- yeah. thought it was at least pretty solid and uh yeah I, I i think i agree with you like it is a much less seen movie than the original um mm-hmm. which the original i think is very much like a generational like if you were around in that time and we're watching my girl like that was like a, was a movie that you guys all watched together and then my girl 2 comes out and it just wasn't as big of a, a cultural event as my girl was but that's a shame you know it's, it's pretty good and uh, i think it you know it does do an interesting job of continuing the story of the original well, I'm just glad that it seems or what I'm hearing is that you don't <laughs> regret my choice and that no. I may be invited back on. Absolutely. So. Yeah. We were, <laughs> I mean, we, we were very excited when we saw that My Girl 2 was the movie, um, just because it's one that we would probably never cover on this show. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Which is what we like to do with the guest makes Mike watch. We like to try to bring people in who are going to like make us watch something that we wouldn't even think to watch. I uh, mean, I was real close to saying let's do Paddington, but I know you guys have seen that one. Oh, what? well, no, we have not. Um, you have, you still haven't gone to watch so Paddington after all the like, <laughs> yep. come on. We're saving it for, uh, we're going to have, uh, at some point we're going to have Johnny Grant and maybe Giles Alderson back on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> And he's going to make us watch Paddington too. I think that's the plan. It's got, it's got to be what happens. Uh, It's been built up so much up to this point that it feels like (laughs) we'll never live up to the hype. I cannot believe Like I really thought, Oh, they for sure went to go watch this movie. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, We we probably should have. I mean, Paddington 2 (laughs) is supposed to be like one of the greatest movies ever made or something. It's supposed to be incredible. Yeah. So one day we're going to get there. Hopefully sometime in 2022, uh, it'll find, it'll finally be happening. Danielle, thank you so much for uh, joining us on this podcast. Uh, if people want to find no more late fees, if they want to find you online, where can they do that? Um, well, you can follow us at no more late fees on Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Just all the places. If you, if you search for no more late fees, you'll probably find it. <laughs> at no more late fees. You will find us a hundred percent. Awesome. Uh, Mike D, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And if you'd like to donate to support the show, you could do that on our Kofi page, 
which is ko-fi.com slash Mike and Mike Pods, uh, plural, because we have two podcasts. Yes, indeed. And you can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike Decree Show. That is Daniel Clark. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at Mike and Mike Pod. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside many other podcasts, but all kinds of comic books, movie news, and all that good stuff, including no more late fees. It's over there Yay. too. Yeah. So uh, we're going to be off our normal schedule for the next few weeks, but next time you hear from us, it'll probably be a little bit after Christmas uh, as we discuss Spider-Man no way home uh, for our first in-person episode in six years. Uh, which wow. is Pretty exciting. Danielle, are you a Spider-Man fan at all? I am. I am seeing it on Friday. We rented out a, a movie theater. Um, nice. Oh, so sweet. We're, we're That's good. You know what would be a gr- actually for us on No More Late Fees? Spider-Man 2, 2004, the best movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> we will put you guys down. We yes. will reserve Spider-Man 2 for the two of you guys. We'll Perfect. skip over Spider-Man 1 and we will do Spider-Man yes. 2. Yes, oh, well, I'll do both. But Spider-Man 2, I, I just did a big Spider-Man rewatch. Uh, and man, I mean, Spider-Man 2 has always been like basically my favorite superhero movie. Um, but like watching it again, like cemented, like, man, this movie fucking rules. It's so good. I honestly <laughs> want to skip over to Spider-Man 3 because that one I'm going to have a field day with. You know what? I, I kind of like Spider-Man 3. Uh, and I, for oh all boy. of its faults, for all of its faults, it is <laughs> like a, a wild big Spider-Man 3 apologist. Very much so. I think, I, I do, I, I think Spider-Man 3 is better than both the Tom Holland Spider-Mans. All right. You guys are down for the entire trilogy. We're going to have yes, our wow. crossover events just like... <laughs> On DC, on the CWDC yes. crossover events, we will start with Spider Man One and make our way through Spider Man Three. Crisis yep. of Infinite Podcasts. Uh, yes. <gasps> Ooh, don't forget that nice. yeah. we'll have to use that. <laughs> All right. Yes. So Spider-Man No Way Home is going to be our after Christmas episode. At some point, our Matrix episode will be coming out, too. Uh, In the meantime, The Complete Works is talking Jeff Goldblum's role in Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie this week. Uh, You ever seen Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie, Danielle? No. (laughs) That's fine. Uh, (laughs) No, honestly, I had seen it once and I watched it again for this podcast. And I thought it was like a little bit better than I thought it was the first time. But like when I first saw it, I was like, I don't like this at all. Did you you guys do um, the swap? Or I think that's the one with Jennifer Aniston. The Switch. switch? We we just did that one a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. Uh, I got to go back and listen. Yeah, that is a movie that uh, we did not like. (laughs) I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, uh, just based on the fundamental premise of the switch. Uh, if you if you have a problem with licorice pizza, uh, you should probably have a problem with the switch as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. But uh, all right, so yeah, Tim and Eric is uh, the next Goldblum episode, and that is going to be the end of this week's episode of Mike. My go to the movies. Danielle, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys. Absolutely, and we will see you on the other side.